Welcome to the Effortless English Show with the world's number one English teacher, AJ Hogue, where AJ's more than 40 million students worldwide finally learn English once and for all without the boring textbooks, classrooms, and grammar drills. Here's AJ with a quick piece to help you learn to speak fluent English effortlessly. Hi, I'm AJ Hogue, the author of Effortless English, Learn to Speak English Like a Native. Go to EffortlessEnglishClub.com. Join my VIP program, Speak English Powerfully, Speak English Confidently, Think in English, Speak English Effortlessly. Join my VIP program. Commit, succeed. Join my VIP program at Effortless English Club. Dot com. That's effortless. English club. Dot com. We need to play the same Jimi Hendrix song today. Lay back and groove on a rainy day. Got some cool guitar on that song. But it is. It is. Another. Rainy, cool day here in Osaka, Japan. Slight breeze. Of course, it's cloudy. Temperatures are again in the 70s, which means... Fahrenheit, remember? (laughs) The 70s is kind of... uh, Cool, I would describe it as. Not chilly. I'm I'm wearing shorts and a t-shirt today, but... But shorts and a t-shirt feels just a little cool. I could probably wear a jacket right now and be comfortable. I feel just a tiny bit chilly because I'm sitting down. I'm not moving. When I'm up and moving around, I feel perfectly fine. What this means is that we're right at the beginning of fall, which is a wonderful time of year. It's just barely, barely raining. In fact, it may have even stopped raining just now. This is one of those days just kind of raining a little bit on and off, on and off, on and off. A very pleasant, nice day, a wonderful temperature. Good day to be sitting outside. uh, Sitting on the sidewalk, actually. Well, on a chair on the sidewalk next to the coffee shop chatting with you today very nice hope you have enjoyed the recent shows I know a lot of people talking to me on Gab gab gab.ai gab.ai or Twitter I'm AJ Hogue on both of those a lot of people talking to me telling me they enjoyed hearing the VIP teleseminar Right, I had the VIP teleseminar last weekend, and I recorded it this time. I remembered to record it and added it, so you got to hear some of our effortless English members talking. Mostly, it was them talking, not me. So you got to hear some of them talking, and I think they all did a very, very good job. Excellent job, really. Fantastic. I hope that inspired you. And you realize that. You can be successful. You can continue to improve. 
Now, I know some of the people who spoke, some of the VIP members who spoke, also <laughs> mentioned on Twitter, like, oh, I, I think I made uh, some mistakes, and they were kind of worried about it, but I think everyone did just a great job. Don't need to worry about mistakes. Especially in speaking. Especially speaking. You have to realize, speaking and writing are very different. If I'm writing something... Well, let's say if I'm writing something important. Something important. Then, of course, I want no mistakes. Zero mistakes. I don't want any obvious grammar mistakes. I don't want spelling mistakes. I want correct punctuation. It needs to be very clear. All of those things. Writing has a very high standard of, uh, you know, near perfection. We kind of expect that with writing it will be nearly perfect. And this is why, we, you know, we write and then we write again and then we check it for errors and then we have another person look at it and they uh, check it for errors. You know, my book, for example, I wrote it. I wrote it one time. And then I went back and I wrote it again and then I went back and wrote it again and then I look, went back and I checked it for mistakes and I checked it again. But I still missed some mistakes. So then I had an editor and the editor went through and made suggestions and corrected some mistakes. And then I had proofreaders, including our own Julia, <laughs> VIP member, helped to proofread it and she found some mistakes still. Okay, so this is normal. I'm a native speaker. I'm an English teacher. I'm a pretty good writer. Uh, but still, you know, I had mistakes in there. But this is... But with writing, see, we can go back again and again and again and again. We can check and double check and triple check. I can check it. You, Someone else can check it. You can have three, four, five people looking for mistakes. I mean, this is what all professional writers do. Okay? And there's not a single professional writer that I know that just writes their book or paper or article one time and that's all. Not if they're good. Because they make mistakes. Okay, you pick your favorite author, I don't know, your favorite writer. So, someone like Stephen King who makes millions of dollars. Or someone who had a, got a Nobel Prize for writing like uh, Hemingway. He made mistakes, you know. He didn't write that book one time with no mistakes. No, he wrote those books. I say that book, really those books. He wrote them and then he went back and then he corrected his mistakes and he made them better and then he went back and he wrote again and then he had an editor who made suggestions corrected some mistakes. Okay, this is totally normal. These are top-level, high-level professional writers who are native speakers. So that's how you do good writing. I mean, you can improve your writing, of course, so that you have fewer mistakes and that it's clearer and it's generally good, but you're never going to be perfect. I mean, this is why when we, when we look at social media and when people are doing quick writing, they're just writing fast, they're just writing it and then publishing it immediately, sending it immediately. Emails too, especially for friends. You'll find mistakes, okay? I, I make mistakes in my tweets sometimes. Uh, sometimes it's a mistake that I'm making. Sometimes it's just a mistake with the, like we call a typo, right? I, mi I just, I'm typing on my phone and I miss, I hit the wrong letter or something. Sometimes my phone does auto-correct, but the phone 
what's the wrong word, <laughs> right? You, you know this. This is, all these things are common. And everybody does this. And this is for writing. This is for writing, which is much slower. Much, much slower, right? With writing. Even with the tweet, we have time. We can write it, and then we can stop, and we can look at it. And we can go back and read it again, and hmm, look for mistakes, and then read it again. But even with that, we make mistakes sometimes. So just imagine, speaking is completely different, okay? Speaking is fast, fast, fast. There's no correcting. Right? You have the thought in your head and you say it. That's it. They're going to be mistakes. Commonly. I I do this all the time. You may notice, especially in my podcast, when I'm just kind of talking freely. Uh, You know, many times I'll start a sentence and then in the middle of the sentence I'll sort of change. Uh, You know, for example, I'll say... uh, you know, I'll start. I'm trying to think of a one. I've done this recently. You know, there are many. I might start saying, you know, there, there, there is a big problem. Actually, there are many problems, right? You know, something like that. We're all change from one to many, and uh, I'll have to correct my verb conjugation <laughs> because I I'll start a sentence singular. <laughs> Right, you know, singular means one, and then, but then I'll change the idea in the middle of thinking. I'll change it to talking about many things, and then I realize, oh well, the verb doesn't match now. And then sometimes I, I have to, in the middle of talking, I have to correct it, or sometimes I don't correct it. Sometimes I just keep going, and you know, the verb does not match the subject perfectly. But you know, this is normal speaking. This happens all the time in speaking. You know, another thing, if, if you study grammar, English grammar, they will teach you that you must always use complete sentences, right? Subject, object, right? Verb, subject, verb, object. Grammatically perfect, correct sentences. And for writing, yes, for at least formal writing, and that is correct. But for speaking, uh, we use incomplete, not complete sentences constantly, all the time. I mean, this is super common, especially with friends and people you know. It's very common to just say a couple words, and they kind of know what the rest of the sentence is, so you don't have to say all of it. I I mean, married couples do this a lot, right? My wife and I, I can just say one word and use, like, do something with my face. She knows what I'm going to say. I don't need to finish the sentence. And she can do the same. Is that wrong? Is that a mistake? No, it's not a mistake. It's it's completely correct. This, this is the problem and another problem with English teaching in schools. They teach English, but when they're teaching English and they're teaching grammar and they're teaching these rules, these are rules for writing. These are written rules. This is written English they're teaching. But they're teaching these rules and they're telling the students that these are the rules also for speaking. But they're not. They're not. This rule of complete sentences is a perfect example. That is not a rule of spoken English. That's just nonsense. That is nonsense. You do not have to speak with a complete sentence. Subject, verb, object. You don't have to do that in speaking. 
Now, often you will. Maybe most of the time you will. To be understood, but in many situations we will cut sentences short. And of course, as you know, in many situations we cut words short. Because the other person understands. That's that's the only rule, really, of spoken English, quite honestly. Rule, like super important rule is be understood. Be understood. That's the only real rule. You can make lots of um, so-called mistakes. You can use incomplete sentences. You can get the verb wrong with the conjugation or whatever. You can do all those things. It doesn't really matter in speaking as long as the other person or other people clearly understand you. If they clearly understand what you're saying, they clearly understand your meaning, you communicate very effectively and clearly, that's what's important. That's what's important with speaking. So it doesn't really, that's, that's why you know, I know a lot of uh, English teachers online and people who do podcasts, they edit. They edit their uh, podcasts a lot. Right? They'll record it, then they go back and they, they use software and they edit it and they, they cut out all their mistakes because they, they want to sound perfect. I'm an English teacher. I have to be perfect. I can't you know, make a mistake with a verb or something. But I don't do that. I don't do that at all. I never do that because it's unnatural. It's not, it's not real English. I want you to hear. I'm a good, you know, I'm a very good English speaker, obviously. I'm a native speaker. My job is to speak English all the time. But I'll still make mistakes. You need to hear that. I want you to hear it. I want you to hear it. I don't want to hide that. That's just pretending. That's just kind of lying. You need to hear how people really speak. And when they really speak, they sometimes use incomplete sentences. And sometimes uh, they're thinking one thing and they change your mind in the middle of talking. And then the, they get the verb wrong sometimes. Sometimes I mispronounce a word. Like, you know, I'll uh, so even in my own language, sometimes there's some words that are a little difficult to pronounce, and I'll kind of say them wrong, say it wrong a little bit, and then I have to correct myself, or sometimes I don't correct myself. Again, it's totally normal and natural. These are all normal things, and I hope that when you realize that I do these things, that it's no problem if you do them. Focus on being understood. That is the key thing. I mean, this is why pronunciation is important. Not because you have to have a perfect American accent. You, you don't have to have a perfect American accent. Unless you want one. If you want one, great. Good. Go, go, go ahead and do it. That's fine. But, if you, but you don't have to. What you do need, though, is a clear accent. Clear pronunciation. Meaning... Most people that you will talk to can understand you clearly. Now, this is why it's good, useful, to develop or to copy a standard accent, a very clear standard accent, a common standard accent. That's why it's important. Because most people understand it, right? That's why, I, like, a, an American accent is very useful because, well, 
everybody in the world knows this accent, right? They all know it because of movies and television and radio and podcasts. It's probably the most common accent, English language accent pronunciation in the world. It's the most common. So that's the reason. It's just practical. However, you know, a very standard British accent, kind of what we might call a uh, common or neutral or, you know, kind of standard BBC type of British accent is also very common worldwide, around the world, and is also easily understood by most English speakers, native speakers and learners, both. So this is why these accents are useful and why it's useful for you to learn that pronunciation. That's why in my pronunciation course, I teach you to speak with an American accent. Maybe not a perfect American accent, but close, get close. Because it's very, very, very clear, easily understood by most people. So this is the main rule that I want you to focus on with your speaking is being understood. Be understandable. That's it. And don't get all worried about little mistakes. Because with speaking, the rules are much more relaxed. Okay? Grammar is very relaxed with speaking. So just don't worry about it. Don't worry about that. All right. I've got another quote. Quote from the Dhammapada, which I'm still reading. It's got a nice quote. Here's the quote. I'll say the quote and then I'll explain it. As irrigators lead water where they want, as archers make their arrows straight, as carpenters carve wood, the wise shape their minds. Okay, this is an interesting quote. What does it mean? Basically, in this quote, we're getting just metaphors, okay? Metaphors, right? Metaphor is kind of a comparison, an image that helps us to have a understanding of a deeper meaning. So the first is, as irrigators lead water where they want. What's an irrigator? There's a good word. Irrigation is a noun. Irrigation means, um, like, it's what farmers do. It basically means bringing water to a farm. Bringing water to land. Like, if you have a river, and your farm is away from the river, it's not close to the river. Well, how do you get the water to the river? That's irrigation, right? Maybe you dig, (laughs) they dig like a channel, right? And they bring the water over to the farm. That's called irrigation. So a person who does that, right, an engineer or a person who does irrigation, who works on moving water around to farms, to land, they're called an irrigator, an irrigator. So just as an irrigator leads water where they want, right, so what do irrigators do? They lead water, they control the water so that the water goes where they want it. Example two, as archers make their arrows straight. An archer, you know, an archer is a person who shoots an arrow, right? In war, in ancient war, in the old 
way of fighting. Right? They had archers. They would shoot arrows at the enemy. And so again, it's saying that what, what do archers do? They make their arrows straight, right? We don't want to... If the arrow's not straight, it won't fly straight. So when archers make arrows, they make them very straight. So again, it's the idea of controlling the shape of the arrow. And then the final example, as carpenters carve wood. Carpenters. A carpenter makes things from wood, right? To carve wood, it basically means to cut wood. To cut wood into different shapes. That's called carving. Cutting the wood into different shapes. So again, what does a carpenter do? Well, they they take the wood and then they make it. They control it. They cut it into the shapes they want to make a chair, to make a table, whatever. So you're seeing in all three of these examples, you've got a, a person or people who are bending and controlling and something, right? So that it becomes useful. And so then we have the last example. Just, just like all these other people, the wise, meaning people who are wise, right? It shape their minds. Aha! So what it's saying is that wise people, so this, these are people who are intelligent and, real, and good. These people develop their minds. They do the same thing to their own minds. They shape and control and discipline their own minds, their thoughts, their emotions. This is how you become wise, by disciplining your thoughts and your emotions. It's, a, it's as if your mind was wood, right? It's comparing your mind to a piece of wood, just a big piece of wood. Maybe this piece of wood is not useful. Can't do anything with it, but if you're a carpenter, you take that piece of wood, you cut it into pieces, you shape it, and then you create something beautiful or something useful. So this is what the wise do with their own minds. Same idea. When you have no control over your mind, you, you just have all these crazy thoughts, almost random thoughts, just thoughts pop into your mind all the time. Pop, 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 just all the time. Just thoughts coming from everywhere. Same with emotions, right? Your mood goes up, your mood goes down. You're sad, then you're happy, then you're excited, then you're angry, then you're afraid. Uh, it's all uncontrolled. This is kind of like just a piece of wood. It's not useful and it's not beautiful. So what the wise do, what the wise do is they learn to shape and carve right and control their own thoughts and emotions so instead of all these crazy thoughts popping in and out all the time instead of being controlled by these crazy emotions that come and go and come and go all the time the wise learn how to control these emotions and to direct their thoughts with concentration with meditation so that they gain control over their own minds. And in this way, they make themselves beautiful and useful. Nice idea. 
And in many ways, this is our big battle in life, right? I've talked about this before. We talked about it in previous earlier shows. How in life our biggest battles are internal. The biggest battle of all is with your own mind, meaning your own thoughts. I mean, it's, it's kind of a strange thing to, th- to think about, really, right? You're like, who are you fighting? You're, well, you're fighting yourself. <laughs> it's kind of strange, right? But we, we begin to understand as we look at our minds, as we look at our emotions, we realize that there's some part of us inside of our own mind, right? Our consciousness. There's some part of us that seems to be above everything else. We could call it our highest self. Uh, There are lots of different words for it in different languages. But it's the part that is quiet and calm, that is aware of everything else. It's why you can say, it's it's why we can have a a strange sentence where we say, I I watch my thoughts. Who's I? Who's I? Who's watching the thoughts? This gives the idea that your thoughts are not you. Which is the opposite of a very famous quote, by the way. Right? I think, therefore, I am. Descartes, I think, was. Um, th- well, this is kind of the opposite thought. No, you're not your thoughts. It's, it's not, you don't exist because you think. You, your existence, the, the real you, the highest you, is above your thoughts, is above your emotions. It's the part of you that silently observes and notices and understands and de- make and decides and it's that part of you that shapes your thoughts that disciplines the rest of your mind the thoughts and emotions and this is what meditation is uh, focused on developing. Right, this is the idea of meditation that you calm yourself, first of all, you calm your mind and your body, and then you observe it. You're observing yourself, but you, as you do this, you, you begin to realize okay, well, who's observing? How can I observe my own self? It's kind of interesting. And you start to feel that, oh wait, these, these thoughts that just keep coming and going, coming and going all the time, and these emotions that come up and down, up and down, they're not, they're not really me. There's some other part of me that's higher than all of that, that can watch it without emotion, without attachment. Not only that, there's a higher part of me that can change those thoughts with a decision. There's a higher part of me that can change those emotions with a decision, with, with a kind of willpower. And with meditation, you actually experience this. It's not just an idea, but you actually experience exactly this, and you actually do it. This is probably the greatest power of meditation and the deepest wisdom of meditation. Well, I shouldn't say the deepest because that's not true, but uh, it's one of the deeper insights or understandings that comes from meditation. It's probably one of the first, actually, that comes from meditation. 
the idea of this quote is that this is really our most important task or job or focus for life. It's not getting money. It's not achieving anything in the outside world. But rather is this, shaping our own minds. And what's interesting is what we've seen in in just the books we've read so far with the book club and with many other ideas we discuss, we see that to achieve anything in the outside world, right? Outside of us, out in in society, in our social life, the physical world, it always starts inside. It always starts with controlling, mastering, our own minds with developing the right mindset, the right understanding, the right discipline, right? To make money, right? Where does it start? Well, Robert Kiyosaki taught us it actually starts inside with your beliefs about money, with your thoughts about money, with your understanding of money, with overcoming and the fear of loss. Right? Kiyosaki was very clear about that, that it's really about your thoughts and your understanding and your emotion that it all is happening in your mind first that's where it all starts learning how to identify the opportunities to buy or develop assets all of these things they start in your mind that it's the mental discipline and the uh, emotional discipline that it that creates wealth that makes you rich when people first hear this idea oh that's crazy no 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 but it's not crazy he's exactly right this is why in my own book with English the first half of my book is 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 about psychology it's about your mind it's about your emotions it's about developing mastery of your mind and your emotions first. It's only the second half of my book that talks about the seven rules and the the methods for learning English. But the first half of the book is all about your mind. It always starts with your mind, your mindset, mental and emotional discipline, self-control. All athletes know this. Even those of us who are just kind of amateur athletes, right? We just like to want to be in good shape and have a good fitness level. But we know it always starts in our minds, right? Because to be in good, to have a good fitness level, let's just say to be strong, to develop your muscles. Well, the first thing you need is the self-discipline. The self-discipline to do the exercise every day. People who don't do that, right? They have. They say, "Oh, I'm lazy. I'm tired. I don't want to do it." Right? The problem is emotional or mental. Your body will respond when you do the work, when you do the exercise. Your body will respond. You will get stronger. And you will develop better endurance when you do the work, when you do the exercise, when you do the training. But doing the training—that's the hard part—and <laughs> that is all about a mental battle. It's a mental and emotional struggle with yourself. Who are you fighting against? It's just you. It's just your own weaknesses, your own laziness, your own negative beliefs. Right? If you say, oh, I'm lazy. Well, what's the problem? Well, it's all inside. 
so the wise shape their minds the wise focus most of their energy and concentration on themselves and on their own minds their own thoughts and emotions and this is lifelong it's it's a lifelong process and it is difficult it's difficult but don't feel bad it's difficult for everybody okay we know difficult for everyone even the great saints of human history have said that it's very difficult even the ones who achieved you know very high levels of wisdom and enlightenment salvation they never said it was easy <laughs> okay i haven't read any of their the the books or writings or teachings or sutras of the very wise the saints the buddhas the bodhisattvas right the the prophets none of them say it's easy okay none of them claimed it's easy they're all quite honest that it's not easy they they teach you what to do they teach you why it's important but they don't say it's easy nobody claims it's easy so don't feel bad if you say oh it's hard well of course it's hard it's probably the hardest thing in life to discipline your own mind and your own emotions isn't that interesting it's extremely difficult but the rewards are huge and the good news is you don't have to do it all at once that even just small steps small improvements bring big benefits that's the good news i mean i'm no saint for sure <laughs> okay but just the the small steps i've made in this direction the improvements i've made you know the 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 greater self-discipline the greater emotional discipline compared to my past have brought me more happiness more success and this is why it's a lifelong process for most of us most of us will probably never become great saints in this lifetime so that's okay it's just constant and never-ending improvement just keep moving in the right direction I think that's the key thing moving in the right direction just keep working at it don't become frustrated it's sort of like what I was just talking about with making mistakes with English again you're not going to be perfect right you're you're not a saint I'm not a saint so we're never gonna in this lifetime I shouldn't say never we'll say in this lifetime <laughs> We're un and I won't say definitely, but we're unlikely to achieve that level, most of us. We know this. However, we can all make improvements. We can all move in that direction. And that's very significant. Very important. So this is the great battle of our lives. It comes always comes down to, which means it always finally is within ourselves. This is why in my VIP program, so much of my VIP program is focused on teaching you psychological methods, methods for em greater emotional mastery, mental mastery, helping you achieve success in all parts of your life. Definitely with English, yes, of course, and everything else helping you with this great battle with your mind with your emotions well in fact really 
all my effortless English courses focus on these kinds of topics. Uh, you know I don't only teach English. Just English, just the words and the grammar. Eh, for me, it's too boring. I want to teach you the words and the grammar. Of course I do, and I do, indeed. But with, with a deeper meaning, with a deeper purpose, so that you use that English to achieve great success, and so that you become wiser, I hope. I hope. guiding you in the VIP program towards greater self-mastery. Mastery of your own mind, including English. And that's how you achieve success with English in the VIP program. Through your commitment, through your self-discipline. I'm helping you, I'm coaching you, but you do it. You do it. When you listen to those VIP members talking during the teleseminar, their improvement. They did it. They did it. It's their self-discipline. It's their commitment. Right? It's their discipline to listen every day, one hour, two hours, or more. They did it. That was their battle, right? I made the lessons, and I do. I make the lessons for you and try to help you. But you've got to do it. I can't do that for you. Nobody can. Nobody did that for them. They did it. So I'm happy when people um, thank me, of course. I, I feel very grateful. And I'm very grateful when people uh, share their success stories. But I always have to remind you that you do it. You are the ones doing it. You did it. You do it by winning that battle every day. To Put on your headphones or and listen. It's that self-discipline every day. They deserve the credit for their success. And they're continuing. They continue. They have committed to be Effortless English members, not just for a week, not just for a few months. They're committed. They're focused. You can tell. And this is why they achieve great success and why they will continue improving. This is why I say that the VIP program is not for everybody, but it's for the most motivated. Not for the best speakers, right? We have lots of different kind of levels of speakers in the VIP program. Some people start at a kind of middle intermediate level. Others start at a kind of a high intermediate level. And some start even when they're already uh, a little advanced and they just want to get better and better. But the thing that's the same about them is that they're motivated. Right? It's that they understand this mindset, the importance of this mental battle. They understand the importance of committing to do this for months and months and months and months, to listen every single day. That's what makes them special. And that's why I say it's not for everybody because it doesn't work for lazy people, <laughs> okay? I mean, honestly, no, no method will work for lazy people. Just, they, it won't. So I don't want lazy people. If you're lazy, I don't want you to waste your money. <laughs> and I don't want lazy people to, to also fill up the VIP program because they usually just complain a lot and they don't get results and they want to blame everybody else. So it's not for them. But what you can see when you listen to that teleseminar, you, you can hear it in their voices. 
is that the VIP program is for people who are motivated, who are committed, who really, really want to speak English fluently and powerfully. And many, you could hear already, many, many speak very well already, but they want to improve more. Right? They have high standards. They have these goals, high goals. And they're going to keep working and keep working. They're going to keep focusing on having this strong mindset, this motivated mindset, this very positive focused mindset and that's why we have so many VIP members who who are members for one year two years three years four five years some uh, we've even had a few that have been members for the full eight years which is amazing that's because they're so motivated they're dedicated they realize that improving that fighting this mental battle that mental self-discipline emotional self-discipline working on this thing that is important to them, English speaking, they realize it's a lifelong process. And they are motivated and committed for the long term. If that's you, that's you, join my VIP program. Join my VIP program. Commit. Listen to the lessons. Every day, every day, every day, join my VIP program to speak English powerfully, fluently, effortlessly. Join my VIP program at EffortlessEnglishClub.com. Join today at EffortlessEnglishClub.com. Let's talk about some methods. Like, how, how do we do it exactly? I, this is, I always like this question. Maybe this is, this is probably my... Uh, hmm. Kind of my main mindset in life. <laughs> Especially when... I think this is why I enjoy teaching. Because whenever I uh, find interesting ideas, powerful ideas that I see are truthful and good... My next question is always how to do it, right? I've, I've, I always like to find the practical <laughs> steps. How do we do it? And so this, this question, how do we develop our minds? How do we shape our minds? The wise shape their minds. Well, how do we do that? That's always the next question, right? I mean, I, I, uh, I understand, yes, that's 100% true. You probably agree it's 100% true. But then the next question is, well, well how do you do it? How do you do it? Well, I mentioned one way, of course, is meditation. Meditation is a maybe the most powerful way. There are other things you can do also to develop your mind, shape your mind. Number one, read old books. Read old books. Read the books written by wise people. This is basically just filling your mind with wise, good input, right? If we uh, read a bunch of garbage, or a bunch of stupid stuff, we'll tend to become more stupid and foolish, <laughs> if that's all you do, right? Uh, probably know some people in, in life who do this. They're just always listening to kind of garbage music with really, you know, negative, stupid, foolish lyrics, words. 
and then they watch television shows which are filled with a bunch of nonsense and then they watch movies that are filled with nonsense maybe they don't even read books at all or they read just nonsense all the time and then they become kind of foolish people because they're just putting foolish things into their mind all the time Some of that's okay, of course. I mean, like I like comedy sometimes. I, I it's good to laugh and all that. Of course, of course, of course. But the point is not only that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we also need to feed our minds with wisdom. So the old books, the very old books, the books that have survived hundreds and some of them thousands of years that are still valued as being wise, knowledgeable, powerful. Read those. Read those as much as you can. Read them, read them. There are many, many, many of them from east and west, north and south. Books like the Bhagavad Gita, books like the Iliad and the Odyssey. Of course, the other great books of prophets and saints and Buddhas. Uh, philosophers um, many 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 great books that are hundreds and thousands of years old and I know when I read these books it's just obvious to me it is so obvious to me immediately how much wiser these people were than most people today even a book that's only let's say 150 years old like Walden Thoreau was written back in the trying to think 1850s probably before the American Civil War so much more powerful and wise than anything I read today from American I, I can't I don't know any American writer today even close to Thoreau or the others. There were several good American writers at that time. Um, Walt Whitman, who is a poet. Uh, Hervin Melville, who wrote Moby Dick. Emerson, who wrote Self-Reliance and a few other essays. Mark Twain, a little before those guys. Um, or maybe it was a little after those guys. I think it was before. But anyway, there are no American writers like that today. This is the benefit of time. Time. What time does, with books especially, is time erases the nonsense. <laughs> okay? So this, this year, today, 2018, there are millions of books published each year. It's incredible how many books. But... 50 years from now, 5-0, 50 years from now, in the future, most of those books will be completely forgotten. Almost all of them will be totally forgotten. Only a very few will still be known, read, published, and popular. And those usually are the ones that are the most meaningful, the most powerful. Just like if we look more recently... Again, look, focusing on American writers, if we look in the last 50, I don't know, 60, 70 years, something like that. 
Lots and lots and lots and lots of books published during that time, but only a few writers are still known and read and popular. You know, Hemingway's a good example. Fitzgerald. A few others. But most erased and forgotten because they just didn't have the wisdom. And so when you look back thousands of years, if we look back 2,000 years, what comes to us now, the books that are 2,000 years old, but still we value them, still we read them, and still we find them powerful. Oh, these are the best of the best. And that's why I say read those old books. This is a great... You're feeding your mind wisdom. You're challenging your mind. Many of these books are more difficult to read because the the ideas are much deeper than we're used to. We're, We're so shallow now. So this is a great form of shaping your mind is to read the old wise books. So meditation, number one. Reading these old wise books, number two. Another way to shape your mind is to overcome difficult challenges. Overcome difficult challenges and problems. This might be a goal that you have for yourself. Like, oh, for example, speaking English effortlessly. Or it might be a physical goal. Like, I'm going to run a marathon or whatever. Really, it doesn't matter so much, but just that it's difficult. That's kind of the key thing, is difficult. Why? Because to overcome that difficult challenge or problem or goal, you must shape your mind. You have no choice. It, it, you are required to develop mental discipline, right? Because in many ways, we are naturally lazy. So let's say you decide, I'm going to run a marathon, and you've never, ri- you've never run long before, and you decide to run a marathon. Well, what do you have to do? You're going to have to train, okay? Almost every day, you have to go run. Well, guess what? Every day becomes a mental battle. Every day, especially in the beginning. You're going to wake up, oh, I'm tired, I don't want to run. And now, you must develop mental discipline. You have an emotion, uh, uh, I feel lazy. You have a thought in your head, I don't want to run. But you must develop mental discipline to overcome the thought and the emotion and go run anyway. And you will eventually. And the next day, again, and then the next day, again, and you keep fighting this battle. And eventually it becomes easier because your mental discipline gets stronger and stronger. And of course, your physical body will also get stronger and you'll start to enjoy the running more. But this is a great method for developing mental discipline, emotional discipline, shaping your mind. This is why it's always good in your life at any time to choose a difficult goal and try to achieve it. It, Because really, the goal is not so important. It's not so important that whatever the goal is, it doesn't matter. I mean, does it matter if you run a marathon or not, really? Eh, not really. I, you know, it's, it's a cool goal, but you can be happy without running marathons. <laughs> but with the benefit of running the marathon is a lot of the benefit is going to be mental. The mental discipline you develop, the persistence you develop, all of these qualities. Of course, you're going to feel better physically, too. 
things. Oh, these big goals of you know speaking, so having a big goal for English, to speak English, you know, truly, fluently, confidently, powerfully, effortlessly. Of course, you'll have great benefits in your life for that, but also a great mental benefit just by having that high goal, that difficult goal. Another way to shape our minds is to face our fears, face and understand our fears, and in some cases, in many cases, overcome our fears. This is a really difficult one. Because fear is a powerful emotion. And usually when we're afraid, we just want to get away from the emotion. It doesn't feel good, right? Fear is a, an emotion that feels bad. So when we're afraid, we usually just want to escape the feeling and get away from whatever makes us afraid. Which is understandable, which is completely natural, but we can develop, we can develop great mental discipline by facing these fears. These fears can become quite useful, in fact, as a, like a training tool, kind of like a, for your body, you can use a heavy weight to develop strength, right? You have to lift the heavy weight, makes you stronger. Well, it's kind of the same thing mentally and emotionally, that these fears are like emotional weights. And by facing them, even just trying to overcome them, even if you were not successful completely, but just the process of trying will develop a lot of mental strength and emotional discipline. One example I use is uh, a fear of heights. I, I have a fear of heights. I don't like high places. Makes me, they make me really nervous. Of course, this is common. Lots of people have this fear. I have this fear still, but it's less than it used to be because I actually uh, tried to face it somewhat. <laughs> I was partially successful. But there, there was a time in my life where I, I went, I forced myself to do things like I went rock climbing a couple times. I went rappelling. That's where you start on top of the big cliff or mountain or something and then you go down the rope to the bottom. Called, it's called repelling in American English. So I've done repelling. Um, the most recent time I did that, I, I did that on the island of Bali. And, you know, I was terrified. I was really scared, but I did it anyway. I pushed myself to do it. Now, I don't do it all the time because I'm still uncomfortable with high places, but I'm better than I used to be, right? I've, I have at least reduced the fear. When I started this, when I was very young, I was super terrified. Like, there's no way I could have done any of that stuff. I was so afraid. But then step by step, I faced it, I faced it, I pushed myself, and now I'm better. I still don't like it, <laughs> okay? I'm still very nervous on high places, but the process of facing it and doing those scary things definitely gave me, helped me develop more mental discipline, strength, control, self-control. So facing fears, facing fears. Public speaking is another one. Now public speaking I really did overcome, mostly. But it was the same in the beginning. I was terrified of public speaking, shaking all the, when I would try to speak. 
very difficult just to say basic English sentences when I first started. And now I mostly enjoy it and love it and have overcome that fear. <laughs> However, not completely. I mean, there, there, there's still some situations. If I'm go going to talk to an unknown audience about a topic I usually don't talk about, I'll feel nervous again. For sure I will. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a much different situation than normal for me. So I'll still feel nervous, but I'm used to facing that fear, so uh, I can overcome it. And usually after a few minutes, I feel fine. So facing fears is a good one. Just choose any of your fears. Notice what are you afraid of and push yourself to do it a little bit more, to face the fear and just try to overcome it. And remember, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to become super perfect, but just push yourself a little bit to face some of those fears. And just think of this as mental and emotional exercise that the true purpose of this is not necessarily to completely overcome the fear, but the purpose is to learn to deal with the fear, to deal with emotions, and gain control of your own mind and your own body, even when you're afraid, even when you're upset and angry, um, even when you have negative thoughts, that you can still be in control of your own mind, even during those times. It's very powerful. Been reading you know, online recently. Every day. I, there are several blogs, as I've mentioned, that I read. Different topics. Some are kind of more cultural topics. And some, you know, basic mm, political stuff. As you know, I like to find sources that are independent and I compare them and get lots of information. But anyway, I, I was reading one recently and I came across, uh, I guess it's an idiom, probably even more slang, ZFG. You might see this online. You might see this sometimes on some websites. Just the letters, Z. F G Now this is uh, This stands for means it's right three letters it's each letter is one word it stands for one word and it's kind of a rude slang or idiom but I'm going to teach it to you because it's quite interesting that this little rude phrase using bad language actually is the meaning of it it's something that's very old and very deep and very wise. And it's just interesting to me how it seems like, uh, you know, we, we, you will see this in human history and human thought that the same ideas get communicated every generation, but in just very different ways, using different language, maybe using different emotion. But when you dig a little deeper, you find a very, very old and ancient idea. So ZFG, uh, those, some of you guys like to r learn rude words, so I'll teach it to you. ZFG means zero fucks given. <laughs> zero fucks given. <laughs> what does this mean? <laughs> it means you don't care. Basically means I don't care. I don't care at all. 
this is another it's kind of a rude so so be aware don't say this to <laughs> if you need to be polite i wouldn't use this language but uh some people say i don't give a fuck i don't give a fuck i don't give a fuck means to give a fuck means to care so i don't give a fuck means i don't care i don't care i don't care at all and if you can Using this rude language, it's very strong. It sounds very strong, very emotional, uh, and it's definitely rude. But ZFG, zero fucks given, meaning an attitude of not caring. It's an attitude of not caring. But this is a positive phrase, not negative. What it's describing is something called outcome independence. Outcome independence. What it means is when you say ZFG or zero fucks given, it means you do what you want to do. You don't care what other people think at all. You have no care about what other people think. You also don't care what happens. You don't care if you fail. You don't care if you succeed. You just do what you want to do or you do what is right. And, eh, Emotionally, you're not afraid. It basically gives also this idea of no fear. Zero fear. Outcome independence means uh, you don't care about the outcome. You don't care about the result. It means you do something because you think it's good or right or just you want to do it. And you don't care about the result. You're not, you're not afraid of the result. You're not afraid of failure. You're also not excited about success you don't care if you succeed or fail you're just going to do it now where do i let me give you some examples to help you understand this phrase i see this a lot on uh, uh sites for boys and men talking about dating you'll see this advice a lot for young men especially who are trying to date this is probably the number one piece of advice to them is that the most important thing for a young man if he's trying to date a girl is he needs to have a ZFG attitude a zero fucks given attitude what does that mean it means an attitude of super confidence it means an attitude that as the guy you don't care like if you walk up to a girl you think she's attractive you want to ask her on a date or something or just talk to her you don't care if she likes you or not you don't care if she rejects you you don't care if she says yes Right? Because you're so confident. You're so happy and confident in your own life. You don't need her to make you happy. Right? You don't need her approval. She looks attractive. You're interested. You want to go talk to her. Great. But hey, if she, if she says, go away, I don't like you, you just say, okay, whatever. And you walk away. You don't care. Right? ZFG. You're independent. Your happiness does not depend on her approval your happiness does not depend on her reaction so you don't need her to say yes you don't need her to like you if she likes you good if she doesn't like you eh, okay whatever you don't care right you're not dependent on her you're not dependent on the outcome Why is this so powerful? Because what this is describing is something very old, as I said before. This is just a kind of modern slang, a little bit rude way to say, to describe an idea, a mentality, a attitude 
that's actually very, very, very old. This is the same attitude we find taught in the Bhagavad Gita thousands of thousands of years ago. It's basically an attitude of equanimity, this word again, equanimity. It means you have an equal reaction no matter what happens. Right? Something bad happens, you stay calm. You're still confident. You're still calm. You're okay. You're not going to cry and go crazy. If something good happens, you stay calm. You're not going to scream and yell and go crazy either. Because you know that this is always going to change. That life is always going to change. Up and down, up and down, up and down. You just stay calm through the ups. You stay calm through the downs. This is an attitude of equanimity. And it gives you... Why is it powerful? Number one, it makes you very, very confident. Because it's an, it requires confidence. To have equanimity, you must be confident. To have a ZFG attitude, you must be super confident. Confident in yourself. That's the, that's the true confidence. It's inner confidence. It means you feel strong with yourself. You know if something bad happens, I'm okay. I can handle it. I'll deal with it. I'll face the problem. I'll face the difficulty. I'll keep going. I'll survive. I'll be okay. If something good happens, you know, well, okay, fine. Great. I'll enjoy it. That it'll be good, but I don't need it. I don't need it to be happy. I don't need it to be confident. You can see this is also this ZFG attitude is very powerful for entrepreneurs. It means you start a business. Of course you want it to succeed, but you don't depend on it. You're not going to feel like a loser if your business fails. Because your confidence comes from something deeper in yourself. You will feel good about yourself. You will feel confident in yourself. Whatever happens, if the business succeeds, good great, but you don't need that money to feel like a good person. You don't need that money to be happy. But if it succeeds, great. You'll accept it. You accept the success. You enjoy it. But you have a bit of this attitude of calm equanimity of ZFG. And the opposite is true, too. You start your business and it has problems and maybe it even fails. Again, you don't cry. You don't get all upset about it because you have a deeper confidence in yourself. You want to succeed, but if it doesn't succeed, you learn and you keep going. You keep that emotional calm. ZFG. Very powerful. People feel this. This is why it's so important with dating, especially for men and boys. Because it, it creates a kind of super powerful confidence inside you that other people feel. No matter what you say, no matter what your personality, even if whether you're big and strong and have muscles or you're small and don't have muscles, this ZFG attitude is super powerful. Now, I mentioned uh, the Gita, the Bhagavad Gita, because the Bhagavad Gita is an incredible, incredible book, which I highly recommend. And there are many, 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 many lessons uh, in that book. And then a huge amount of wisdom in that book. I often think of, however, this one section, one part of the Bhagavad Gita, I often think of as being, it's like the ultimate red pill. 
Okay, it's a thou- thousands of years old, but I think of it as it's like the super red pill. <laughs> okay, in the story, Krishna gives Arjuna the ultimate super red pill. It's very much like uh, it's like the Matrix, right? You have Morpheus. He gives the red pill to Neo, and Neo, whoa, wakes up to the the big truth, right? Well, well, there's a the Bhagavad Gita is a is a story thousands of years old that is basically the same idea. It's basically the same thing happens. You've got Arjuna, who's kind of like Neo, who's kind of not awake. Right? He's still kind of blue-pilled, and he's acting very blue-pilled at the beginning of the Bhagavad Gita. Oh, what do I do? And he's kind of, he's kind of, re- he's being really kind of weak, and he's confused, and doesn't know what to do. And then he asks, Krishna, what should I do? Oh, help me, Krishna. Tell me what to do. Sh- tell me the truth. And Krishna says, okay. <laughs> and gives him one big, gigantic, super red pill. And uh, over the whole book then, it's just actually, he gives him about, he gives him a lot of red pills. Like every chapter is a red pill. And he gets this big, powerful truth. And some of it scares him to death, okay? Well, not quite to death, but it shocks him. Many of the red pill truths he gets from Krishna are are so powerful he can't he he, he almost can't handle it. He's ah, it's too much, right? <laughs> One of the red pills he gets from Krishna is the same ZFG attitude. Now, of course, he doesn't say that. <laughs> But it's basically this attitude of equanimity or outcome independence, right? In the Bhagavad Gita, they're about to fight a battle. The whole story happens on the battlefield. Just before these two armies begin fighting, Arjuna is leading one of those armies. And he's about, and he, and he, and he, he starts to have all these doubts just before the fighting. Oh, what do I do? And, uh, you know, Krishna basically says... Don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. You need to have a ZFG attitude. You need to you need to have total confidence. You need to do what's right. It doesn't matter. Win, lose. Put it out of your mind. Right? Now the more spiritual way to say this, or phil- philosophical way to say this, would be equanimity. To take the correct action with a mindset of equanimity completely calm and as you might guess this also means fearless when you have a complete ZFG attitude when you have true deep powerful emotional equanimity you're fearless the fear just drops away because you just take your action clear, strong action. You're not afraid of failing. You're not afraid of negative results. You're also not attached to success or getting good results. You're, you're, you're ready for anything. doesn't matter to you. The results that happen after, it doesn't matter. You accept anything that happens after.
that's why I find this so fascinating because it's, yeah, as I see this little phrase pop up, ZFG, ZFG, and all these different uh, websites and different topics. It's just, it's just interesting to me how it's kind of a very rude, simple way to say this idea, this very powerful idea that goes back thousands and thousands of years that is a spiritual teaching of many different religions and saints that has a very powerful deep history and purpose and meaning and wisdom and here we have it expressed again in a very crude rude way (laughs) in our modern world and yet it has the roots of great wisdom in it very interesting very interesting so if you want to think of it in a less philosophical way I recommend too the ZFG attitude has uh, a lot of power to it of course you won't these things you don't use them in every aspect of life maybe Uh, maybe maybe a few people can but there are things you of course you care deeply about in your life that are very important but I think overall it's a very good tool, a very good uh, strategy to use, to develop in many areas of life. I think in general, especially in our modern world today, we, are, we all get much too emotional, and me too. Okay, I'm not blaming anybody because I do it also. But we're just so, so over-emotional about things. And we get much too emotional about small ups and downs and ups and downs and I think most of us could benefit by having more of this ZFG attitude and just making decisions doing what's right or doing what we feel we need to do or want to do and not worrying so much about the results not worrying so much about the mistakes certainly for you young men out there dating uh, this is a superpower this is a superpower <laughs> okay <laughs> if you have problems if you don't know how to deal with girls or you don't know what to do uh, you don't know where to start start here now is it easy to develop this no it's not easy but it's going to be a battle that you have to fight with yourself again but I highly recommend it okay your, your happiness should come from inside your confidence should come from inside you your meaning, your purpose, your values. All these should come from inside of you, okay? You you don't get it from another person. Okay? No girl's gonna give that to you. If you're if you're weak and you don't have confidence and you don't have a mission in your life, you feel like you don't have any purpose in your life, you feel like you're unhappy, guess what? No girl's going to give that to you. Forget Hollywood, it's a lie. No girl will give that to you. It's too many young men. They think, oh, if just this girl would date me, if, oh, if just she loved me, then I would, oh, then I'd be happy. No, you won't. No, you won't. For a short time, you will. For a short time, you oh, I'm so in love. And if she, you know, if the girl says yes, oh, it'll be great for a while. But guess what? That unhappiness, that weakness, the lack of confidence, the lack of purpose, it will all come back like a poison. Probably it will destroy your relationship. And you. 
And then what hap- what happens if the girl changes her mind and she leaves you, breaks up with you, or you, sh- you start fighting, or she cheats on you? Well, then you go back to being totally miserable again, right? Because you're trying, you're looking outside yourself for meaning. You're looking outside yourself for happiness and confidence and purpose. This will never work. And this is also true for women, by the way. I'm, I'm a man and I, I get... Mostly I get these questions from young men asking me advice about this. So that's why I'm talking about this. But of course, the same is true for young girls, young women. You gotta find it inside yourself. The battle's always inside yourself. Meaning, purpose, confidence... You got to get it within. And then when you date somebody or marry somebody, then then you, of course you enjoy it. It's like getting money, right? Of course you enjoy it. Of course it's nice. It adds to your life happiness, but you don't depend on it. It's not the source of your confidence. It's not the source of your happiness. It's it's an extra gift. Right? That person is an extra gift. Or if, we t- if we're looking at business as an example, okay, it's the same thing. M- money's not going to make you happy. If you're miserable, if you're unhappy, if you have no meaning in your life, if you have no confidence, if you're really miserable and unhappy, becoming rich will not make you happier. Uh, we see this with famous people all the time. I promise you, it's not going to solve all your problems. You're still going to be miserable. You're not going to have confidence. All those problems will still be there if you suddenly get a huge amount of money. But when you have more of the ZFG attitude, when you develop your emotional and mental self-discipline, when you find the meaning and purpose and strength inside of you and the confidence inside of you, and yeah, you know, then you're going to be confident if you fail and you'll be confident if you succeed. You'll be happy if you fail. You'll be happy if you succeed. And then if you do succeed and you make a lot of money, great, you'll enjoy it. It will add to your happiness, but you don't need it. It's extra. It's an extra gift that you'll be grateful for and enjoy. This is the mindset. This is the mindset with so much in life, especially goals and external things. It always comes inside first. So young men for dating, you gotta you know, focus on your purpose first in life instead of trying to get some girl. Develop all of that first so that you are confident in your own life. You have a purpose. You have a meaning to your life. You have confidence. You have a life that you feel is good and enjoyable and important. You have meaning inside yourself. Then go get a girl if you want to. And it's the same with money. Develop these things within yourself. And then, yeah, make money, sure. But then you don't need the money. Then you're not acting from greed. ZFG. Or equanimity. Equanimity. And I have, by the way, read the Bhagavad Gita. Great book. Super powerful. Super powerful. Okay, I'm going to go back inside now. Hope you're having a great day. I had a...
Good time talking to you. Such a nice, cool, pleasant day today. As always, join my VIP program. Join my VIP program today. Join at EffortlessEnglishClub.com. Join me today at EffortlessEnglishClub.com.